0: Are you doing all right today? You doing all right? I want you to talk back to me today. You doing all right? Good. It's good to be in God's house. You're grateful to be here? And uh, I'm, I'm excited today to share with you something God's place in my heart. And if you're here for the first time, welcome. Um, we're grateful that you're here. We don't just say that as part of the run-through of our service. We sincerely mean it. And we're grateful that you're joining us. Those joining us online, welcome our family at... Um, uh, SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Um, Can we show them some love? Let's clap for them. I have to be honest, church. My head is all over the place. Um, Have you ever read too much of the Bible and talked to too many people? And uh, I made the mistake when I had my outlines completed by talking to Dr. John Mannion and then talking to my mother and then talking to my wife and then... And There's nothing wrong. The Bible says there's actually wisdom in the multitude of counsel. But um, I'm going to share a bit. I'm going to share about something I've shared in the past. But I really believe that what I'm going to share with you today is something that God is refining in my heart, and it's. I'm so excited about it. I, I feel like I want to read to you the entire Bible this morning, and I realize we have 30 minutes together. Um, My father is an important figure in my life, and for those of you who have been blessed to have a biological father or a father figure in your life, you know the impact that that can have in both a positive and negative way. Um, My father and mother are away this morning, but I know they're watching online, and I want to say happy Father's Day to my father, um, the father of eight um, crazy Delinquent at times, children, um, but he did an incredible job at leading and setting an example for us to follow. And um, today, I want to share with you the power of of knowing your identity. Many of you know or have heard my father's uh, testimony, his story. He is one of 11, he's the oldest son of 11 children, and when they were raised in Collingswood, um, they didn't have a whole lot at the time. They, uh, he would always remind us when we complained about having three or four in one bedroom. He said, when I grew up, you know, when those stories start, when I grew up, and I'm like, oh, here we go. You know? But he wasn't kidding. They had three bedrooms in the home. One was for their parents. One was for grandma because she moved in, and the rest was for all the kids. <laughs> and, um, but if you ask him how was it, he says, the greatest time of our lives, and we loved it. We didn't really have shoes, and we ran around the neighborhood barefoot, but we loved it. And um, he shares with a story about how one of his elementary uh, teachers used to walk him home from school and tell him about um, Jesus. And he shares his story, and if you know my father, he's always smiling when he tells this because he's so excited to tell you about the Oreo cookie part, you know. And he's like, she brought me into this beautiful home, never been in a home that big, sat me down by this beautiful fireplace, I've never seen a fireplace before. And brings out a plate of Oreo cookies, there were 12 of them. And he tells a story about how um, her son, who was friends of my father, he thought that six were for him and six were for her son. So he ate the first, the first half and just waiting. And she says, oh no, they're all for you. And so he tells a story how he ate 11 but brought one home to show all of his brothers and sisters because no one would ever believe this story. <laughs> and I've heard my father tell that story Hundred times, And every time I, I even say it, it's easy to almost fall off the cliff and get very emotional about it because understanding the powerful impact of one person's willingness to share their testimony of Jesus Christ. Thousands and thousands of people's eternities are forever changed because of one's, one person's obedience and willingness to share the gospel of Jesus. And so there's power in that. But one thing that has always perplexed me about my father's story beyond the fact that he saved the one Oreo cookie and all that other stuff. My father has always been able to do things that seem to be difficult for other men to do. And the older I got, I remember my father sharing stories with me, and, and even watching my father live his life, I, 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 it's easy for me to do this today because he's not here, but I, watching him live his life, it was, it was perplexing at times as to why it was easy for him to be selfless, or sacrificial, and I wanted desperately to be like my dad, but if I was really honest with you, I'd be like, I couldn't do that. Have you ever found it difficult to love somebody? And then you watch someone who's in a, in a situation that's really difficult to love, yet they love them, and you're scratching your head saying, I want to be like that, but I don't know if I could do that. I would always ask my father about his story, and there's one thing he always used to share with me about his story. And it almost seemed perplexing to him as he would share it with me, but he says, son, when I said yes to Jesus, I don't know why I can't explain it to you. I, I know it was the power of the Holy Spirit, but I, everything in me changed. My identity was in Christ, and I was secure in that. And he told me that probably 15 years ago. And every time we'd go back to that story, I'd always ask him, well, what is it? He goes, I just know that I'm a child of God. And he'd always go back to that, and every once in a while we'd be talking about issues, and my father would always chime in, he'd, he'd smile and say, identity is important. He'd say, it's powerful, and that'd be it. And you know those things where you want them to unpack this depth of explanation, but all you get is identity is important, and it's powerful. I want us to turn to John chapter 13, John chapter 13. Is it all right if we jump all over the place today? I have to I'm sorry, We're, I have to. John chapter 13. Jesus is sitting with disciples. Um, and well, let's just pick up in verse one. Uh, it says, "It was just before the Passover festival, the Passover festival. N- man, I want to say so much. the Passover. Exodus chapter 12. Um, the Father passed over the homes who had blood above the mantle of their doorway. While Moses and Aaron were instructed to go to Pharaoh and tell them about this final plague or this final instruction from God, Moses and Aaron went to the people of God and says, listen, what you're to do is to take a spotless lamb in your home and you're to care for it. And then at a certain point, you're going to sacrifice this perfect lamb. You're going to take the blood of that perfect lamb and you're going to put it over the doorway. And when this spirit of death passes through Egypt, it will pass over and protect your home. And so Jesus is here sitting with the disciples leading up to the moment of Passover. And this is what it says. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. This is the verse I want you to lean into and just pay attention. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal... He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, speak through me as I attempt to, in what I believe, share your word in a way that is freeing, releasing, strengthening, and encouraging to the body of Christ today. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The passage of Scripture is unique. It's unique for many reasons, but what I want to begin with is talking about identity. And in case you get lost along the journey from identity and everything in between to the end, there's a power in understanding your identity, which ultimately releases you to humbly serve people in a way that you normally would never be able to serve people. But that will never happen if you first don't understand your identity. When the scripture says that Jesus knew who he was, and he knew that he had come from God, there's a powerful explanation for us, at least, to understand that we need to know who we are. Identity is powerful. It's powerful. Because identity produces something. It produces many things. But one of the most powerful things it produces is a sense of security. It's a sense of security. And, and identity is something that you will fight for. There are, there are things that you will fight. You'll fight to, your way through an environment to get to a place so that you can identify with other people. When I was um, growing up, I, I remember quickly learning the power of identity. I remember the power of your name. Um, and some, i say it this way, when I went to school, some the teachers would read the names and um, they'd come across and, and I could always tell if they had an heart before me by the way they looked at me and said my last name. So they said, they'd read it through and they'd say, Eisenhart, And then they'd look at me. <laughs> and I could tell what cousin of mine they already had, you know. And then after me, if my sister was in class, she would always be like, I can't believe it. Did you have this teacher? And I'm like, yeah, I was so bad. She goes, I know, you know. And um, so I realized that there's power in your name. I also realized that there's power in your home. There's power in where you were raised, in your education, in who you associate with. Do you know like when kids are in middle school and high school, they're just trying to find their group? You know what I'm talking about? And we think that 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 only begins in adolescence, in elementary areas, and then somewhere along the way, it just dissipates. It never dissipates. You just find it in a unique way as an adult. Have you ever heard of this phrase, identity politics? Oh, You're going to get quiet on me now. Have you ever heard that phrase? Society understands the power of identity, but society has no interest in necessarily leveraging the power of identity in a way that's beneficial to everyone, though they may confess that at times. They understand that the power of identity is so powerful that because it produces security, that you will defend it above everything else. So if we can pocket one another in postures and groups, and almost look at one another and say, yeah, you know, that's great, you are an American, but really, you are from New Jersey. Like, well, what, what, what the heck does that mean? You know? Well, well, that's just where you live. And, and so and we, we identify one another by different things and unique things. And I've learned over time that, that we become offended when we feel like our identity is being threatened. Do you believe me? Because I can start rambling off a bunch of of examples. But we begin to defend, and and it's true in politics. It's true in society. It's true in our homes. Society does its best. And and when I say society, I'm telling you it's the flesh. It's, 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 It's everything that's opposite to the nature of God and the spirit of God. It views things in a completely worldly way. And, and power is often leveraged in the use of identity. And this is what it does. It just says, hey, this is who you are, and this is the most important thing about you. And let's just start in very generic terms. We can talk about it in issues of race, that your race is the most important thing about you. We can use it in, in the idea of addiction, drug addiction. We can use it about marriage, those who have been divorced and those who have not been divorced, those who have not been married. We can talk about education. We can talk about income we talk about all those things, and and society often loves to say, okay, if this is you, that's really important to you. Now, I'm trying to lay this out for you because I want you to know that in our humanity, we have a natural propensity to identify with certain things that inevitably produce security for us. And this is a crazy thing. It doesn't matter where you are. You will naturally drift to a place that you feel most secure. And even if you say, no, 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 I love everybody. Don't you love when people say, no, I love everybody. But naturally, we all drift to where? The place we feel most secure. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Not really. There's a reason that we have men's crews, women's crews, couples' crews, crews that um, uh, recovery crews. We, we have groups where people can f- find a sense of relationship because of the experiences they've walked through. But there's something in this I need you to desperately get because this is the way that the world thinks. This is the way that the world operates. This is not the way the kingdom of God operates. It's not. And I see it happening across the country today where people are like, well, and can I tell you, it even happens in the church. Wesleyans, Methodists, Presbyterians, you you name it. We have have divided ourselves according to how we see ourselves and the value of how we attribute that to our identity. Let me say it this way. All of you have stock in your identity. Some of you have a lot more stock in certain areas than others. And I can ultimately tell where you have the greatest sense of stock in your identity because you'll protect that more than anything else. That's why some of you get really offended by certain things. Now that you're like, eh, I don't care. <laughs> it's because you have no stock in your identity there. But someone else, they've placed it all on that. And so when that gets violated, they like start to lose their mind. Yeah. They feel like the world is over and they're having a meltdown. Does this make sense to anybody? Um, I remember um, my grandfather's an amazing man and, and he has traced our family ancestry back to the Black Forest in Germany, back to like 1462 or something crazy. And I remember, like, as he was drafting this, he, it was like a 20-year, 30-year work of his life. And he's still alive. He's an amazing man. He's a wild, crazy man. He, we come from him. And, um, and so he's, he's, he's penning all this, and everything's by hand. And he's an artist, and it's beautiful. And so my whole life, like, growing up, I remember thinking, like, when people would always talk about your origin, where are you ultimately from, which is ultimately a question of identity, I would always say, I'm German. I'm German. And I don't really know what I'm even saying. I'm just like, everyone's like, oh, I'm Irish, I'm Italian, I'm this, I'm that, and I'm like, I'm German, you know, and I, I just didn't know. But but that's what I was told. So and there was this weird thing because even when you're told that this is who you are, even if you don't have a lot of argument in it, you begin to to find satisfaction in it and security in it and so therefore you begin to protect it. Well, fast forward about 15 years and, and do you know how they started to make the DNA tests? You know where I'm going with this. And it's like, oh, we're German, we're German. We find out we're not German. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, well, we are. We are German. I don't want to say that we're not German but like we thought we were like, all German. And it's like, and I love this because often I talk to people, they're like, yeah, no, I'm Italian. And you're like, are you? And they're like, Yes, I am. And you're like, whoa, okay, a lot of stock in that. Okay, you know, and, and then you, you, you find out you do your ancestry back, and then we find out, like for me personally on my mother's side, that my great-grandfather was 100% Jewish. No one knew. Never, no one told anyone. So think about that, being raised thinking you were German, and then finding out that you have more Jewish blood in you. You're like, oh. you know. This is what I want you to get, is that in life, you get the privilege from God to place stock in how you see yourself. But this is what I love about the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul lays a framework for us as believers as to how we should see ourselves. And he doesn't, he doesn't find confusion in it. There's so many scriptures I want to share with you, but let's go to Colossians. They're playing the piano already. Here we go. <laughs> We should just let the 11 o'clock just fill the parking lot. Just kidding. Paul writes, he says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is from Colossians chapter 3. He says, Christ is seated at the right hand of God, so set your mind on things above, so set your heart and your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So he's helping to lead you saying, listen, you're always setting your mind on these earthly things, these earthly things, these earthly identities. Listen, set your mind and your heart on things above. Why? Because this is no longer your world. You are a pilgrim passing through. This is not your home. You're not staying here. Christ says, he, this is what it says in John, he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. Do you know where you're going? If you know where you're going, then live that way. With a perspective that this is not your home. And live with the perspective that that heaven is never in a posture of, of losing a fight. Don't be one of those Christians like, oh, the world, it's getting so bad. Can I well, you don't you're not a prophet to tell me that. Jesus said that centuries ago. In this world, you'll have trouble. Read Revelation. He says everyone will be lovers of themselves, serving themselves. It's going to be a, a rerun of, of Judges chapter 19, which ended and said, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now listen, it's not. it doesn't say everyone did what was wrong in their eyes. No, it says everyone did what was right in their eyes. You know what it means? Everyone becomes their own God. There is no final authority. Sound familiar? It's a world we're living in. We're walking in it right now. For you died. Listen to this. You died and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. You know what he's saying? All of your past identity and how you saw yourself has died. It has died. And some of us, I'm telling you, you've placed so much stock in it. And there's nothing wrong with knowing where you've come from, with celebrating your heritage and all of those things. But can I tell you, this is where the problem comes in, is when you have a higher stock in your earthly identity than you do in your heavenly one. That's the biggest problem, because ultimately, listen to me, you defend and find security in how you see you. Listen, I've never met a secure Christian who lives close-handed. You know why? Because a Christian who finds their identity in Christ lives open-handed. Why? Because their God is Jehovah Jireh, more than enough. And he teaches us that our dependency is not to hold on to things but to live open-handed and releasing to give unto others. There's a sense of security that comes from our identity. If you, you you know we read Matthew 6 all the time for where your treasure is that your heart will be also. For where your identity is <laughs> there you will find satisfaction. There's something powerful in recognizing that That's why he goes down and he says, you cannot serve both God and money. He's basically telling you that you choose to form your identity. And you will guard it. And it will become the biggest thing in your heart. And so while the world is telling the church how to love and how to look at one another. Church, we have to go back to the word. And the scriptures continue in Colossians. It says, you used to walk in these ways. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You're like, well, well, how? Because that died when you said yes to Christ. Put to death your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, greed, which is idolatry. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. But you used to walk in these ways. But in the new life, that you live. He says, Put, But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. And since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. (laughs) And he goes on to talk about clothing ourselves in the image of God how to walk in this sense of love towards one another. It says that Christ knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going. When you know your identity, you have a sense of direction in life. You don't wander through life confused and perplexed. You know your home. You know who's the father of the home. And so you choose to play stock in your identity in Christ. Paul says, of all of the things that I have done and all the accomplishments, they are filthy rags compared to the finished work of Christ and so all of us place stock in the things that we have accomplished and we should be proud of the things we have accomplished but my friend don't ever allow yourself to place a higher stock in your identity than that which comes from God you know the greatest title that you and I have? the greatest one the greatest title is this to be a son and a daughter of God it's the greatest thing it's the greatest thing It's the greatest thing to know that's what Christ is returning for, the church, his sons and his daughters. Identity produces security. And in our security, we find direction. But it ultimately culminates in releasing in our hearts this humility that leads to serving other people. And this is why the Bible always talks about how to love. It talks about how do we walk in love? How do we recognize love? Now, the world will tell you that, that love is defined in a different way than the way that the scripture defines it. And this is why, even in society today, even in this month specifically, through as the world recognizes it as Pride Month, this is why it becomes so passionate. For people is because individuals find their identity in their, in their preference and in their natural desires of sexuality. The world says, that's who you are. That's what the world does. That's who you are. That's who you are. And you know what the world does? You're going to fight for that. Because we've just told you that's all you are. Not only all you are, that's the most significant thing about you. And God comes, sends his one and only son from heaven to earth. To deal with what? Our broken desires. The desires that we naturally have apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we form our identity in these desires. And that's what Christ came to set us free from. He came to set us free from us finding our soul identity in how we think, and how we act, and how we feel. He says, "Not that won't redeem you. But that which will redeem you is that spotless lamb. That perfect spotless lamb that came from heaven to earth. Who went to a cross. Who paid for your sin and for my sin. Who was placed in a tomb and three days later was raised to life. Who defeated sin and death. That's the love from heaven to earth. That's the love from a father to you. But God demonstrated His love towards us that while we were yet still sinners, while we found our identity in things of this world, Christ died for us. It's the God that we serve. So the Bible teaches us how to love. It teaches us how to walk with one another. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. That we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and this is how we know that love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world we are like Jesus let's be a church That celebrates our diversity, our heritage, our uniqueness. But ultimately, I believe with all my heart, and I'm learning this, that I need to take stock in where I place my identity. Because at the end of the day, our greatest identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. And some of us will ask... Well, why don't you serve others? I believe that passage of Scripture is telling for many of us. Do you know, when Jesus came to Peter, he got down and kneeled on the ground to wash the feet of Peter. And Peter's like, what are, you, what, what are you doing? He's like, I want to wash your feet. Peter's like, no, no, you're not. He probably had feet like me. He's like, no, you're not. You're not getting near my feet. You know what I mean? And, and, and he says, um, if you don't let me do this, you'll have no part of me. And then Peter, he's the man. He goes, well, then wash my whole body. And he says, Peter, you don't need a bath. <laughs> you Notice know he's, he's talking about? That Christ came to humbly serve, to sanctify, and to redeem. If you look at 2 Corinthians, Paul instructs the church. And he instructs the church with a ministry that comes from Christ. And he says, it's a ministry of reconciliation. I want to read this to you. And the reason it's so powerful is because it helps lay aside the confusing things of this world. And it helps us posture ourselves and how to see one another. I'm telling you, all of us do this. All of us judge one another. We do this. Why? Because we guard our own identity. And how do you guard it? by looking at others and judging them in an inferior way to how you view yourself. And so we guard that. We find security in that. This is what Paul writes. He says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Listen. To what Paul's writing. So from now on, from now on, the old is gone and the new has come. We are new creations in the eyes of God when we say yes to Jesus. Amen? We're new creations. So from now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You know what Paul's saying? This finding value in the identity that comes through the world, we no longer look that way. You're like, why, Paul? Why don't you look that way? Though we once regarded one another this way, (laughs) we no longer do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone and the new is here. Amen? There's something powerful that is released when you find your identity in Christ. And I love what it says in John 14, 15. It says it in 1 John. It says it in Corinthians. It teaches us that you and I will be known unto men by the way that we love one another. In spite of how the world sees us in our boxes and how we find our identity, Christ says, you know how you'll know, my children? This is how you'll know. Their highest form of identity is in me. And how do I know that, you ask? They have the humility to serve one another and to love one another, to be patient with one another, to be long suffering with one another, to endure with one another, to be kind and gentle with one another. That's how you'll point my kids out in the crowd. That's what God says. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Holy Spirit, help us in the days that we live not to trust in ourselves. Help us not to find our security in our identity, in our bank account, in, in what we've acquired. Help us to, uh, to find our identity in you and in you alone. May it produce in us a sense of security that releases us to be the mother that we're called to be and the father that we're called to be. Father, I thank you for the amazing men, the fathers in this home. Father, I thank you for the biological fathers, the spiritual fathers. I thank you for the soon-to-be fathers, the grandfathers. Lord, I just thank you for what you've placed in this house. And Father, I pray today for those that may have felt robbed of not having a father or maybe one that had failed them. Father, I pray that you would strengthen those today that are present, that are watching and listening, that nothing is impossible for you, that you are redeeming God. And you've come to fill that void that humanity could never fill. I thank you that you are the ultimate Father, the ultimate provider, the ultimate healer. And today, before we go, if you're here today and you have never had the privilege to call on the name of Jesus and to find salvation I don't want that to be said any longer of your story If you're here watching online and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus I want to give you the opportunity before you leave while everyone's head is bowed and eyes are closed if you're here today and and you've never gotten to the place in your journey to say I need God I need God I pray that today is a day that you recognize your need of God. Sin separates us from the Father in heaven. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And now you're left with a choice. Do you live out your days recognizing that you have sin in your life? And just roll the dice to see how things will go. Or do you recognize that you have sin? And not only that, you recognize that you are not able to save yourself from the sin? It's not a matter of judging yourselves amongst other people because the Bible clearly teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that none are righteous, not even one. It sounds a bit depressing when Jesus is left out of the story. But God in His love towards us and for us sends His one and only Son from heaven to earth to redeem us, to save us. The Bible teaches in Romans ten nine that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord we shall be saved. We are a new creation in Christ. That old identity is gone and our identity is solely placed in Jesus alone. So if you're here today, we're gonna say a prayer before you go so that you can be part of the family of God. So come on, True North, let's lead people to prayer to find salvation in Jesus right now. Repeat this prayer to me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you before you go today. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you and your family and your children and and your businesses and your health and your, your mind that you would have a sense of peace and security in your mind and no longer have that fear. If you said yes to Jesus, I want you to know it's the greatest decision you've ever made in your life, the greatest one. As you leave today, we have a gift for you right out in the lobby. It's a New Testament Bible. Our team will be waving this up in the air. Make sure you stop out there and say, hey, I made a decision to follow Jesus. We'll do everything possible to help you in your journey with Jesus. Just let us know um, that you said yes to Jesus today, and we'll do everything we can to help you. Um, For everyone else, let me pray for you. You stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your kindness and your patience towards us. Father, I thank you for your patience towards us. And even understanding our identity. But Father, may we walk in the authority that has been given to us. The scripture says that He knew what He had, that He had received authority from the Father. And in Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May we walk in that authority. Father, go with us as we go today. Bless every family. Bless every father in the mighty name of Jesus. Bless every every mother, every child, grandparent in this this home today. Father, we're so grateful that we could belong to this family, protect this family, guard it from any adversary and, and from any demonic attack. Father, we thank you for what you have brought together. May we rely and trust in you alone. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. A faithful church said. Amen. Amen. God bless.